Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. And welcome to Any Stupid Questions, the podcast where we haven't had enough of experts, but in about half an hour, an expert will have had enough of us. I'm Carrie Quinlan, sitting in for Danielle Ward, who can't be here because she's with Idris Elba. Joining me to explain banking is the personal finance editor of the Financial Times, Claire Barrett. Hello. Hi. And I'm also joined by comedians Olivia Lee and Gareth Gwynn. Hello. 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 Hi. Now, no one listens to the end of podcasts for things you want to plug, so I'm going to give you five seconds to plug something now. Uh, no more than five, or people will get bored. So, Olivia, plug something, please. Uh, my podcast on Radio Haha called Frank, which launches on Valentine's Day. Gareth? I have recently presented an archive on four on BBC Radio 4. Called, yeah, called Gareth Gwynn's Alternative Archive. It's on... BBC Sounds right now. Claire, would you like to plug something? Yes, I present the FT Money Show, which is the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance every week, where we try really hard to make personal finance accessible for people who don't like doing it. So, right, let's get straight into it. First question. Claire, why shouldn't I withdraw all my money from Nationwide and put it with the tinned goods and toilet paper that I'm stockpiling for Brexit? The, the, the instinct to put cash under the mattress and take it out of the bank. Now, when have we seen this happen before recently? Northern Rock, 2008. The run on the bank. People panicked because they knew that there was something wrong within the financial system. Turned out they were right. And naturally, everyone thinks, oh, I must get hold of my money, take it out of the bank. But that creates huge problems for the entire banking system because the money that's in bank accounts, like we can see it on our phones or on our statements or whatever, but it's not all physically there. The bank doesn't have to to keep all of it. It's quite a difficult concept for people to get their heads around. But what it does mean is that if everybody took all of their money out of the bank all at the same time, then we wouldn't have a financial system. So that would obviously be quite bad because then things like credit wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be able to apply for a mortgage or get a credit card or buy now, pay later. So all of those kinds of things are connected to a bank judging on your risk and ability to pay back a sum of money in the future, which is why they're lending out the money that they have. Now, 
if you're worried about what will happen to your money if we do see things get quite sticky um, during the Brexit process, be reassured that all of the UK banks through the Financial Services Compensation Scheme mean that your deposits are protected per bank up to £85,000. So if you've got oh, less than... It. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait, sorry, I'm going to have to make a call. <laughs> this is a, right. this I mean, is a big on. problem. Although... If you're older, you know, you've got retirement savings, do watch out because there's been so many mergers and acquisitions between the banking groups since 2008 where several of them went wrong. For example, RBS and NatWest are the same thing. That's the same bank. So that's 85,000 across. <clears throat> exactly. Two. Also, right. people like M&S Bank... Uh, Marks and Spencers, lots of people have got an account with them. You Trustworthy, get, M&S. You, well, and, and also vouchers. You um, get discounts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But Ooh. they are operated by HSBC. And so if you've also got money with HSBC, then if... In the unlikely event, she says, um, that the banking system would collapse, you'd only be able to get one lot of £85,000 back. And not but I've got my other £85,000. Well, what happens to the rest of it? It's just, sorry, it's gone. The amount actually goes goes up and down. A while ago, it was £80,000. But because of the shift in the euro, because this is European regulation that's given, us, given this uh, protection to us, they had to move the protection up because sterling had fallen in value and paul lewis um, from moneybox actually campaigned for that which i thought was, was very clever so you can split them so i can put eighty four thousand nine hundred ninety nine pounds in one bank yep. and, and eighty four thousand nine hundred ninety pounds in another bank and yep. they're both safe and i have a question how many people actually have that in savings is that quite a common thing or what's the average amount that people have as as well, a saving that's roughly. a great question it's a good question i can give you some insight into that. I would say a very small percentage of the UK population has wealth of that amount based on things like the ONS Wealth and Assets Survey. The ONS, Office for National Statistics, keeps a record, which it's been doing since 1963, of the average household savings rate, like how much of the money that's coming into the household through all the people who work is actually saved rather than going straight out the door. And the rate today is the lowest it has ever been since they started this survey back in the 1960s. Now, that could be because interest rates on savings accounts are really terrible for the last 10 years since the financial crisis obviously but you interest would argue rates have been really would low have more money because interest rates are low on mortgages so then wouldn't that exactly mean that so if you've got assets um, yeah. like a property or like shares in the stock market woof 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 that's gone up 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 so woof, it's woof, people woof, woof, <laughs> it's, it's it's the it's the people who had fewer assets to start with i.e they didn't own their own property and they didn't have stocks and shares or a pension who have been really screwed by the financial crisis because those of us that did have seen the value of those assets inflate those of us who didn't which includes obviously lots of younger people have seen the value of anything that they want to buy like you know a shoebox sized flat in london just spiral completely out of their reach but the question that you originally asked was how many people have got £85,000 in a bank account. I was struck by very interesting statistics from Goldman Sachs, who are trying to break into the UK retail banking scene. They've opened this new internet bank account called Marcus, which pays pretty much the top rate of interest on what they call an easy access savings mm. account, where you can take your money in and out straight away. They're offering 1.5%. 
they will accept deposits up to a quarter of a million pounds. So Fine. obviously, if you only <laughs> protect eighty-five grand, let's all apply at once. You're, you're, only, you're only protected up to that level. That's true. But there was a really frightening statistic about the average balance that people had put into these accounts, just because people thought, right, great, we'll put all of our spare cash in there, and it was tens of thousands of pounds was the average balance. So there are people with large amounts of cash savings sitting around, and it may well be because, like the rest of us, they might not be stockpiling, but they might be thinking, if things go a bit awry in the next couple of months, maybe the stock market falls, maybe I'll need money to quickly do something. Maybe if they work in the City of London, they're worried about losing their jobs. Lots of people are. And lots of big institutions are shipping their bankers out to Europe and America. Right. So they're making it easy access, basically. So they can just grab it. Grab grab your cash, grab it and leg it. Wow. That was Ken Dodd's excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Gareth. Um, There's there's cash money. Mm. And then there's electronic money. Yeah. How much money is real and how much is CGI? Like, how much (laughs) in the economy, how much can I get hold of in terms of, like, paper money and how much is just numbers on a computer screen zipping around? Well, much, much more of it is numbers on a computer screen zipping around. The banks would call it the settlement system. So, basically, whenever I am using my contactless cards, like, you know, for example, walk into a, a coffee shop to pay for this coffee no actual real money is changing hands i am making a tap which is electronically linked to me and it's a promise to pay it's all predicated on what's written on the back of any five pound or ten pound mm. note you might have stuffed under your mattress or otherwise i promise to pay the bearer on demand because even the actual cash you can exchange it for goods and services that are worth up to a certain value or denomination but is the money itself actually real in the same way that gold for example say is real and obviously you can forge banknotes and things like that so it doesn't take a great leap of the imagination to kind of get your head around all of these digital transactions that that are coming and it takes a couple of days for them to be settled Mm -hmm. as my youngest stepson found out recently when he was spending lots of money on his contactless card thinking oh it will show up on my banking app and I won't go overdrawn and then you know hello a few days later he gets a charge for going overdrawn because it had taken two or three oh, days for all of those transactions nothing. to come in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've taught him quite a lot um, after, after, after that occurred and I made him march down to his bank and um, demand that they refund his um, overdraft fees because he put up the argument well how was I to know that it would take a few days for these kinds of things to to, did to he show get the up, money back? did that work? He did get the money back. Oh, brilliant! And it, so all we've got to do is march in and demand. Is it the marching that's the key thing? Yeah. Yes. No, you've got to did march. He march in with you, yeah. and did you yeah. tell them who you no, were though? Because my was... mum's a housewife. I'm, they're like, oh, <laughs> housewife mother says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but we did do a role play before he he went to do it because I said, you know, the, the, the lady. Were in the you bank an orc? Is, yeah, it's basically going to say no. You can't have any money next. <laughs> and, and so, and he did drama when he was a kid, so he he, he enjoyed this, but. It's like a real-life situation that can occur to anyone. And unless you kind of feel enraged enough about being ripped off, whether it's by something rubbish that you've bought from a retailer that's gone wrong or something you've ordered online, which doesn't look like it is, which is basically everything that you, <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> that you, that you order online, you know, you do have rights as a consumer. You can engage with brands quite effectively through their social media channels and say, I've got a problem and something's gone wrong. I always out people on Twitter. Wrong. Always. Brands always yeah. out and then... It- you get action immediately. But marching in, in a, you know, in a confident way, with a firm voice, 
can be very effective, but never, ever be rude to the person that you're speaking to because they're just a cog in the machine yes. like we all are. And you need to make them feel sorry for you and want to help you and be clear and explain things. So you need to get them on your side. So given that on banknotes and stuff it says, I promise to pay the bearer, that means that all money is imaginary. Can we imagine it better? <laughs> or, or imagine that more of it yeah. belongs to us. Or Yeah, um, imagine it more equally spread. Well, certainly that's what the central banks, which is basically the name for the bits of the banking system which world governments control, did after the financial crisis. So is because, that quantitative easing? Is just imagining more yeah, money? Yeah, exactly. Mm. They added a load of zeros in the simplest sense made a lot of extra capital, which could act as a cushion. They bought the bad assets from the bad banks. People like to talk about, you know, good money and, and, and bad money. Whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, I believe if they hadn't all acted in concert and done that, then the outcome of what would have happened probably would have been much worse for everyone. But that doesn't stop me from wrestling with the massive injustice that we were talking about earlier with poorer people being much worse off since the crisis. Mm. When you talk about imagining more money, I've been trying to do what Noel Edmonds does, cosmic order money, and like manifest it and then bring it into existence. Why doesn't that work? Well, I think it can work in some ways, because if you don't think about your money and let's use another horrible word be mindful about your money and the choices that you're making it is just going to disappear so I do a lot of finance talks and stuff and people often say to me oh you know by the end of the month I'm overdrawn I've run out of money where does it all go am I getting sympathy around the table (laughs) you have this this kind of problem and it's (laughs) never been easier with the advent of all of these digital banking services to find out exactly where your money is going now the old-fashioned way is that you would sit down like my mum and dad did as I observed when I was growing up because it's their fault that I'm a personal finance (laughs) journalist because they they didn't have any money so they had to be really good at this stuff and they would go through with a ruler and pen line by line everything that was on their bank statement everything that was on their credit card statement and sort of like reconcile it and be like yes and my mum used to take cash out the cash point at the beginning of the month and have like four envelopes which she used to put in different cookery books which I was like aware of but never stole from I just wanted to know her system having cash is a better system because I haven't had cash on me since about 2015 everything is done on a card and I think because of that, you're less mindful of what you're yeah, spending. I completely agree with you. And it's harder to keep a track of, especially with the little delays yeah. that can creep into the system. So what my mum did was she had like the cash for week one. And when that was spent, you know, that that was it. And then it was cash for week two. So that was how they kind of like restricted their budget. So but that's nowadays, I need to buy some cookbooks then. On a... <laughs> An envelope, basically. Yeah. With, with cash. With cash. Yeah. <laughs> on a smartphone now, you can, with various different challenger bank um, accounts, you can set up limits and say, I only want to spend, say, £200 on groceries this month or £300 on eating out or £50 on coffee. And the digital banking system, it can tell what you're spending on your card, which category it falls into. So you don't need to do any kind of like complicated spreadsheet. It does it all for you because the banks have got so much data about what we're buying now because of contactless. They've actually got a bit of a problem because when they send out statements through the post, they're twice as long roughly now as they were a few years ago because now every single 
you know, 50p in a pound that we spend on contactless is documented in a line. Whereas What's the before, point of cash then? Do we, we might have taken it? 50 quid out and spent it on all kinds of things. But now there's like this worrying level of kind of visibility and that they can see I put 45p on a contactless card yesterday and felt really guilty, but it was in Tesco, <laughs> so I felt OK about it. <laughs> okay, this is something that's only just dawned on me. Is there anything potentially sinister in the fact that now literally every Cadbury's cream egg I buy, the bank knows. Like, you, you say, the detail on my mm. bank statement is so great. Oh, yeah, is mm. it? Is it just, are they watching yeah, this? Yeah, it's just dawned on me that, yeah, there's, mm. that's a well, lot you're gonna of go data to the bank. To try and buy another mm. cream egg and Tesco is going to go, no, that is, that is you've plenty. had your fill this you've, month. You've had enough, love. my It's, not, it's yeah. not even Lent yet. Oh, it's him again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, the, yeah, it does worry me. It worries me as a journalist and as a consumer. Um you're going into Tesco and you're buying your cream egg, and I'm imagining. I, mean, although, no, I, I, could, I haven't. I could go to Sainsbury's. I haven't. I haven't bought um, <laughs> a better cream egg. I haven't bought a cream egg for a while. Though, I don't that. know what. How much do they cost now? One pound twenty nine or something ridiculous. Fifty p. Okay, so fifty p. There's probably a lot of other things in Tesco that also cost fifty p. Right. So the bank can see that you're spending a little bit of money in Tesco, but they can't see yet. <laughs> she says nervously, "What they're spending it on?" But Tesco can see. If you've got a club card, not that you'd get points on a 50p purchase because it has to be over a pound. But so are you saying to take my cream egg purchasing off grid? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or at least buy two cream eggs so you can get the club card points. Yeah, okay. Yeah, or a birthday card so they might think you were buying them as a gift. As a gift. Um, for someone else. Do you know what frightens me though? I remember I used to have to buy a travel card or you'd put money on your oyster and you knew what you were spending on the tube. Mm. And now I use my bank card. Mm. I have no idea what it costs me anymore to get around on public transport because it all goes on my bank card and I see TfL come up on my statement. I'm like, eight quid? I don't know what journey that was, where it was. They could literally be charging you through the roof. You wouldn't know. They have got millions of pounds, TfL, worth of fare overcharged people because people don't know that they can link their contactless card to their TfL Oyster account and then you get an automatic notification and in some cases an automatic refund if you've had a delayed journey or if you haven't touched out properly and I go and check mine every couple of months because normally I have to do an expenses claim and say (laughs) you know I've come here I've gone there I've done this and you can see very easily on that when they have charged you for I think it's like something ridiculous like 10 or 11 quid if you don't tap out properly when you leave a station and if it's really crowded it's really easy to do that so they've got all of this so cash. we shouldn't be using our bank cards really well, use them because it's useful i tell you what people really shouldn't use though particularly in liverpool street station around 8am when i go through it most days is the bloody iphone apple pay thing because it just causes enormous queues because it takes <laughs> oh, about God, five okay. seconds for it to work and everyone's just in the queue thinking yeah you and your smart <laughs> apple pay on your phone you know the rest of us standing still over. impressed by a smartphone no one needs to show one of them off now. Yeah. I'm more impressed yeah. if someone's got an old Nokia. I'm Always. Like, yeah. That's... Yeah, or like an A to Z. Yeah. Or the, or the wizard, the wizard man. I've seen him. He oh, put yeah. The, the oyster, the thing that makes it work, he put in the tip of a wand so he can go up to the oyster region and go, Halakazam, <laughs> and it lets him free. If you're enjoying any stupid questions, you could always leave a review somewhere and tell other people about it. Five stars would be nice, but feel free to give it one star if you went to school with Danielle and didn't get on. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. 
But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We mentioned challenger banks, and I'm slightly fascinated by them. Are they the future, and can I start one? <laughs> well, it, it is easier than ever before to get a banking license, which is what you need to to, awesome. to get Hello. from the Let's from the it. financial conduct. <laughs> Why authority. is that? Because they want to encourage more competition into the market. So I've tried to be fact light for your podcast. I don't want to scare people, but you are more likely to get divorced than change bank account. So I'm going to ask everyone around the table, are you still with the same bank that you signed up to when you were at university, probably to get the free young person's record? Is, is this a phishing scam? Because this sounds like the sort of thing that <laughs> in, in three questions time you're going to ask me what my mother's maiden name yeah. is. Are you, and we'll... are you Nigerian royalty by any chance? Um, but yeah, I am still with the bank that I set up when I yeah. was 17. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am, but it's changed names. It used to be Abby. God, that's oh, how old Santander. I am. Yeah, yeah, now it's Santander. I've moved loads. Well done. Yeah. I, oh, why is that? I remember yeah. someone this years ago. Yeah. You're better at money than you think. You cool. changed Thanks, banks like the wind. Rates <laughs> or something. Like, it's partly rates. It's partly ethics. It's partly I really like you like a new card. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, oh, though it, actually, right. <laughs> so this is at my proper bank's bugbear, right? When I was eight... I opened a NatWest account. For the pig. For the pigs. I got all the pigs. <gasps> Why don't I get anything anywhere near as good as the pigs now that I'm in my 40s? Have you still got the pigs because they're worth a fortune on I have still got the pigs. Maxwell got smashed. Oh. Yeah. He's easy to replace, he's, though. Uh, he, and, he, and my mum did stick him back together. I was like 20. <laughs> How much could she get really for the upset. pigs? Oh, I'd have to Google it. But, you know, with hundreds of pounds, if you've got... I if think this there ends were five... up being the best piece of financial advice you get today, yeah. I'm <laughs> 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 thing is, I'm never going to sell them. They're the, they're, the, they're, yeah. they're the crowning achievement of my life. It's this like is not my, the first podcast like I've mentioned them like that's the pension. 
the best banking freebie that you can get is still the young person's rail card for students who right. are opening an account. But it's all for and young they, people. And they, they, share, they share the women. love. A different one will we'll get it all the time. But the challenger banks, are they the future? Well, I, oh, yeah, I, would, I, would, yeah. I would say yes, because they're giving customers what they want and quickly in a way that the banks who are shackled by all of these pretty ancient IT systems through different mergers and acquisitions have all been cobbled together, you know, with bits of wire and sellotape we can butter that. <laughs> if we think back to TSB, one of the biggest online banking outages ever, some say the biggest that we've ever seen, that caused such a hideous problem, not just for customers who couldn't access their accounts, but who were predated on by fraudsters just because the bank didn't handle the situation at all well people were therefore taking advantage phoning up saying oh we're calling from the tsb fraud department you need to move your money to another account there's been this big problem online you know and they they prey on they use enough information about something that's real that it's got enough of the grain of truth about it to to trick people into doing that now tsb's had to pay out you know hundreds over 100 million pounds so far in compensation to customers and that is great but this is very much kind of old banking if you like and new banking digital banking the challenger banks they're so desperate to attract us as customers because it's really hard to get british people to change their bank account they're offering really quite amazing perks now if you go on holiday abroad then the biggest one is that you'll be able to spend money on your card abroad very cheaply because a lot of people don't know that if you just spend your contactless keep keep going on plastic while you're in Europe or America your bank on average will charge you around two and a half or three percent of whatever you spend on top as a currency conversion fee which if you think if you're paying a thousand pound hotel bill on your card that's an extra 30 quid bunged on top which you only find out about once you get home and look at your bank statement whereas if you'd paid that on a Monzo a Starling a Revolut whatever other cards are available you're saving an awful lot of money so that is a great perk for people like the budgeting tools that you can get especially for younger customers this is all new ways that we can use our data more effectively but what worries me slightly as I was saying is that the banks also get an awful lot of access to our data now if you're happy with that you might say well it's a fair transaction I can get back these goods and services cashback is another thing that they Mm. offer I can never be faffed with all the cashback offers there are some people who are like slaves to to these things I just haven't got time for that you might think it's a it's a fair transaction but certainly they're able to do things faster quicker in many cases better than the old banks for example card replacement pretty much instantly the next day if you lose your card Lots of the banks are copying the innovations, like Barclays, for example, will now let you turn off your card from the app if you think you've lost it. Does that happen oh, a lot? That's handy. That is quite handy, isn't it? Because I've cancelled cards before and then I found them like in my laptop because I've bought something online and then I've shut the laptop. Uh... Just going back to the question about student bank accounts. Yeah. How common is that then to get a student bank account at like 17, 18 and then stay with it until you're... 65 or whatever is that more common than not i would say because the, the banks the banks are mm. well the banks are investing an awful lot of money in getting the student market because they know that you'll be tied to them for a long time because obviously you know they give you the rail card so that costs them like 40 quid or whatever mm. but they also give you a free overdraft which is like the crack cocaine yeah. of the <laughs> banking world how can you not use this mm. if it's free but then after you've graduated they normally give you a grace period of about one year mm. although i am aware of some of my followers on social media who say that they managed to get away with like six or seven years before the bank realized that they were no longer a student oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
house, didn't get the letter, stayed on a student account for way too long. Can I, can I say this part? I literally yeah. don't know if How it's... Are you still on it? No, but oh. they did... I can't they caught up when. with you eventually. They definitely caught up with me, yeah. But at some point they'll transfer you normally to a graduate account. They were very disappointed I didn't have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll start charging you a lot of interest on the overdraft and then you've got to work very hard to you know, pay that pay that off so that you can see the the kind of the pattern mm. of how they how they gradually draw you in and people are also really worried that if they switch bank account like their money will get lost or that they'll be left high and dry without a card which like when all of these big like visa outages and TSB problems have happened it is quite scary when you think oh, I haven't actually got any cash how am I going to mm. Because no, I don't think people carry cash on them. No, I don't anymore. Yeah, and it's terrifying. I never. The only time I really feel feel it is when someone homeless asked me for money and I haven't and I can't. Yeah, because that presumably is becoming a big problem. If you've got a banana on you or something like that, that's true. I did give a homeless man a banana. I didn't have any cash on me and I had a banana in my bag and I was like, I want to give you something. It was a freezing cold night, so I gave him the banana. I mean, it's better than nothing. If we're talking ethics. Are banks getting more or less ethical? Has, has that shifted in the last 10 years? Mm, I think that they are getting more ethical, but I think the reasons why they're getting more ethical is because the city regulators and also campaigners are getting much tougher in policing some of their more nefarious activities. So should we start with PPI? Um, yes. payment, payment protection insurance. I mean, this really was the biggest financial scandal. So it went on for years and years when people were taking out a loan or some kind of credit product. They were having the insurance in case they lost their job and couldn't pay the loan back, tapped onto it. But in most cases, the insurance would never have paid out, particularly if they were like self-employed or anyway, myriad reasons. So the bill for... PPI compensation is now like well over £10 billion in terms of what the banks have had to pay out. The FT did a story about seven or eight years ago, not long after I joined, about how it was causing a boom in consumer spending because the amounts of money that people are getting back for bad PPI, you know, can easily be thousands and thousands of pounds. So like they would just kind of go out and buy a new car. You know, you can make like a big investment purchase with that amount of money coming in. So they've set a deadline now of August where you have to get your claims in by. So anyone listening who thinks they might have had it on a mortgage or on a credit card, you know, get hunting, have a clear up of all of your old paperwork and save you could save you a lot of money. But so there was that big scandal, but then the more recent scandals have been overdrafts and which the consumer group have been really really good I'm massive fans of which about naming and shaming banks who actually charge more than payday lenders on overdraft charges especially for unauthorised overdrafts when you go into the red for a few pounds for a few days (laughs) yeah so you know championship medal to which and the thing that they're currently engaged in a big battle in which I write a lot about at the FT is this thing called authorised push payment fraud which sounds like doesn't sound like fraud does it oh it's authorised that's because that's, <laughs> that's the name that the banks have given it this is when a fraudster either sends you a text or phones you up and pretends to be your bank and says oh um, I'm afraid that there's been a problem and it's been accessed by a criminal but if you move your money to this account also with Santander then it will be safe so we're going to text you a one time passcode and you just need to read it out to me over the phone and in the meantime they've hacked into your internet bank and as oh. soon as you 
give them the code... Never give your passcodes. All of your money is gone. And the banks consistently refuse to pay out any kind of compensation to this because they say it's authorised, i.e. you are the person who has made that transaction possible because the digital payment system makes it possible to move large so you don't get your money, of money back in the blink of an eye. Hardly anyone has ever got their money back. And we're talking oh. like hundreds of millions of pounds a year. Gosh. The average amount lost is like over £10,000. Hey. So lots of people think of there could be, yeah. you know, how do they know the right people to target? Is there kind of... Does the fraud go deeper into the bank network because they're getting tip-offs on who may or may not have lots of money resting in their account? The evidence on that is fairly inconclusive. But what there is a lot of evidence of is that the banks need to do so much more to protect us when we think a fraud is happening. If all all the banks out there... Where should we be? That is a very good question, because obviously I don't bank with every single bank. So I, I bet feel... you've got your money in How a pair of tights under your, your bed. All of my of pounds. Pounds. I thought this was Ken Dodd in his attic <laughs> again for a second. <laughs> I, I currently bank with four different banks, and, and I would have to say um, personally, and not as any kind of FT endorsement, that I think that Barclays are absolutely brilliant. They get in touch all the time and say is this transaction right or wrong? Should we be doing something about it? They're digital services. I mean, like I paid in a cheque on the Barclays app the other day from my kitchen. I didn't have to go what? to the branch. You can How? now, you can now you do this. You've got one of those machines in the corner with a big lever. Yeah, next to the rubbish chutes yeah. in my flat. Yes, this is a new thing that their app does. You just have to... You, the only faff is that you have to line up the kind of axes around the side of the cheque. And because I'm not very good with IT, it took me about four minutes. Um, I love that we think four minutes is a long time. Yeah, but damn it. Like, but if I, I, four minutes! The cheek of it! If, I, if I'd had to brave it, down to the Mare Street branch of Barclays in Hackney where I live and either queue up for the counter service which you know I'd still be there now or use the iPad-y sort of machine in branch which I frequently have disagreements with (laughs) it's definitely quicker As a homeowner Mm. my partner and I are petrified that after Brexit What's going to happen with interest rates? Are they going to go up? They've been so low for ages we're self-employed so we've had our mortgages being quite low if they really went up, we'd be totally screwed. Are they going to go up? What's going to happen? OK, I think that the forward-looking data that we can see from financial markets indicates that analysts are not expecting interest rates to go up at all this year. Because of all of the nonsense over Brexit, it's just too risky for the Bank of England, our central bank, to start cranking rates up. The base rate is currently 0.75%. It was around 0.5 for most of the financial crisis, which was great. Then it went down to 0.25 when the referendum result came up and they've, you know, cranked it up a bit since then. And I could see why you'd be worried about them cranking it up more very rapidly because the yes. Bank of England puts out these kind of like disaster warnings on a on a frequent basis about no deal people call it remained scaremongering project et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. exactly that was the word I was so should we for. fix a mortgage for five years well this or? is the interesting question so at the moment property prices haven't 
collapsed in London by any means. They've gone down. They've though. certainly gone down. But the stuff that's gone down is mostly like to the west of the capital, you know, the investment kind of properties that the wealthy oligarchs and so on and so forth are buying or the sort of glass and steel towers that surround Old Street in the podcast studio where, where we know, are. real yeah. real <laughs> people haven't been buying those flats to, to live in. You know, investors have been buying them and that's the kind of like the first part of the market to, to thaw over. So... Yes, prices have been going down, but they haven't collapsed. So if you're thinking about remortgaging, lots of other people in your situation are too. Guess why? Because interest rates are still low. So you can actually lock into quite a long-term deal. So you would advise that? I I would say it depends on your circumstances. But more and more people are going for a five-year fix at the moment rather than a two-year fix because the prices, in terms of like the interest rates that you'll pay and the, the arrangement fee, are really broadly quite similar. Also, seven-year fixes, that didn't used to be a thing, that is now a thing, and even... 10-year fixes are now possible. They used to be quite a rare and specialist product. That's a quite a lot of pressure on your marriage, though, isn't there it? Is, well, exactly. Well, yeah, I mean, that's seven, seven years you're going to hit It's a long time. I think we big... can just about define <laughs> safely. There is a big red flashing warning light with any of these things because if you want to move in that time, and yes, divorce could be, could, you know, you could have a baby and need an extra bedroom. You know, you might decide that you want to move to another country because Brexit has gone horribly wrong. And if you end the mortgage, you know, by selling your house, then you have to pay often quite a huge amount to the mortgage lender for breaking that agreement to repay them the money over all of those years. It could be like 5% of your property value if you do it pretty early into the fix. So you need to read all the small print. Do either of you want to jump in with a final question, Gareth? It goes, it's related to what we were saying earlier. How much money are banks making out of normal people like me? Like, am I am I a loss leader for them, or what's the deal? Okay, I'm going to ask you one question. How often do you go overdrawn? Very rarely, very rarely. Well, I would say then you are likely to be getting the better end of the deal because it's overdrafts in terms of the retail banking, the high street banking that are making them. A lot of their so profits. So they're sitting there waiting for me to make a mistake. I think all financial services companies are sitting there waiting for you to make a mistake. Indeed, are kind of designed to profit from inertia. I'm starting to think they're not on our side. Yeah, this feels <laughs> they're like they're not. <laughs> <laughs> they are not. They are. You know, they are businesses that are run to provide a service. Yes, but they are profit driven. And if you don't watch your P's and Q's with financial services companies, then, you know, they'll take the whole alphabet because credit cards, especially if you only pay the minimum amount on your credit cards, it could take you decades to pay off that debt. And if they're charging you 20 percent interest, it's a hugely, hugely profitable business. But then the bank that you're with, do they regularly kind of like send you stuff through the post saying, have a loan, have a credit card? Yeah, because they can see, well, he doesn't go overdrawn much. He's quite good. He's quite good with his money. He'd be quite good (laughs) at at, at creating a regular payment stream, which we can then use to fund our our future activities. So Gareth is the kind of person that we would like to say yes to and get him on the hook for, you know, £20,000 to build a home extension. He's not (laughs) an idiot. Let's see if we can suck him into being an idiot. Yes. Yes. And that's well, how they can make money out oh, of you. I get sent letters all the time saying, we've pre-approved a, yes, a £25,000 loan oh, and it really annoys me. It should 
with all this in mind, should we just take all our money out and put it in a pair of tights and put it under the bed? Like my nan did, and she never spent anything. And she had her money under her bed in a pair of tights. Financial genius. If you've got enough money to stuff into a pair of tights... only one leg. Oh, okay. One leg leg was stuffed. (laughs) It's not a stock. The other was waiting. End on a a boring but sensible point. You know, if you've got more money than you know what to do with, and you've got, you know, much more money than, say, three months' worth of salary sitting in a savings account, then you really need to think about investment because inflation is going to erode the value of your savings over time. At the moment, there are hardly any savings accounts in the UK that will pay a higher interest rate than inflation, the cash burn, if you like. So the value of money in savings accounts is slowly going downhill. But if you were to invest in the stock market, which is what I write a lot about in the FTBK newspaper, high risk, though? it is higher risk, but over long periods of time, it's proven time and time again to give a better result for the end user. Now, what we were saying earlier about the amount of charlatans in the you know financial services space, absolutely, you know, investment is no exception to this. You should be very careful, especially if you're getting cold calls and people coming up with crazy schemes, cryptocurrency. I think that that's a load of rubbish for what it's worth. But, you know, putting money into a pension that's linked to the stock market, small amounts of money over a very long period of time, that is how most people are going to get rich and fund their retirement. It's not going to happen overnight. It's something that you ideally need to start when you're young. But it's like they say, there's no better time to plant a tree than 50 years ago or today. Ah. (laughs) On that bombshell, (laughs) um, that's it for this week. Thank you so much to Claire Barrett, to Gareth Gwynn and to Olivia Lee. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at AnyStupidQs. I'm Carrie Quinlan. The producer was Ed Morrish. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.